are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Tuesday, everybody. A quick reminder off the top to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves is the Twitter handle, LockedOnTWolves. In today's episode, we'll deal partly with the aftermath of the stunning, inexcusable loss to the Kings on Monday night and what the next day reaction was at the media availability, what the key takeaways are, etc. And then we are going to take a little bit of a step back and look at the Wolves as a whole, try to diagnose what some of the overarching issues are as a team, besides the easy answer of lack of overall talent, but what some of the issues are specifically. The Wolves are off until Saturday, so we've got a week where we can kind of, we can do that. We can deep dive a little bit. We can talk a little bit more trade, um, trade deadline, which is next week. Uh, we're only, what, eight days away from the trade deadline. So we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the week. But today we're just going to look at the current roster, what it needs, and what some of the team's issues are. On Monday, of course, the Wolves were up by more than 20 for much of the first part, or for much of the second half, really, including into the fourth quarter. They were still up 17 with 249 left. They were up 14 with 146 left. They were also up nine with 39.2 seconds left in the game. If you want a full kind of rehash and um, immediate reaction on that game, go back and listen to our Tuesday episode. I was beyond and and remain pretty beyond flabbergasted if from from the game on Monday. I mean, it was a historical collapse. We talked about this on Tuesday's podcast as well, but according to ESPN stats and info, NBA teams were 0 and 8,378 went down by 17 points or more with three minutes left in the game, going all the way back to the 96, 97 season, which apparently is the first season that we have reliable data for that. So this very well could have been the worst loss in NBA history, at least in recent recorded NBA history. Um, and I don't know, we don't want to talk too much about it today because it was just, I mean, I spent the entire episode on Tuesday talking about it. So please go back and listen to that. If you feel like you, uh, you want to torture yourself with that. I did want to one mention off the top. This isn't sour grapes at all, of course, uh, because the wolves should have never been in this situation, but with the wolves down, th- excuse me, with the wolves ahead by three, they chose to follow Darren Fox in the open court with 4.7 seconds left instead of allowing the Kings to get off a, a three in transition. Remember, Buddy Heald had been hot. He made like three or four threes in a row, had been fouled at one point and made all three free throws, which is a big a big part of the Kings' comeback. The Wolves correctly chose to follow the Kings up three with under five seconds left. And Fox went to the line, made the first one. So now it's a two-point game with 4.7 seconds left. Fox intentionally misses the second one, throws it hard off the front of the rim, gets his own rebound, gathers and scores after the Wolves had inserted Noah Vonley for the first time in the game. So they had Carl Anthony Towns, Gorgie Jang, Noah Vonley all in the game to try and rebound, and they still gave up the board to Fox. On Tuesday's podcast, I stated that I thought that Fox did not put his foot down before rebounding the ball, and therefore it wasn't a violation. I was incorrect. The NBA's last two-minute report came out on Tuesday and stated that Fox did, in fact, commit a lane violation. And the Wolves it shouldn't like the Wolves should have never been in that position anyways. But if they call that a lane violation, the Wolves I mean, I say that I say the Wolves win the game, but they also should have won up nine with forty seconds left. So who knows? But the Wolves really should have they would have been up two with the ball with five seconds left. Um 
and uh, you know their win probability, I guess, stays at ninety nine point nine at that point. However, um, still disappointing. And also, apparently, um, I'll mention John Krasinski's article at The Athletic here in a minute, but part, a very small part of his article at The Athletic was um, Ryan Saunders said after the game that the coaching staff did ask the officials to review the play, but the referees told them that it was not a reviewable play. So the Wolves did have a challenge remaining because they ultimately used it in overtime on the what ended up being kind of the game sealer when Covington was called for a reach-in foul and the Kings made, I think it was actually Fox, made some free throws to seal the game in overtime um, or effectively seal the game. I guess it put them up three at the time and the Wolves challenged at that point. But lane violations are not reviewable, apparently either by coach challenge or by official challenge, which seems kind of silly to me because it's that's actually less of a judgment call than a lot of the things that they're reviewing, whether it be um, for instance, a block charge call or, you know, um, even some of the out of bounds calls can be a little more arbitrary. Whereas a lane violation should be pretty clear whether or not it's a lane violation. And who knows? My conspiracy theory is that it's because it happens all the time and they're very rarely called. And so in that case, it would open up a can of worms. And, but I mean, our coach is really going to waste their challenge on a lane violation, except for in big situations, which is why I think in the last two minutes it should be allowed or that should be an automatic review for officials such as an out of bounds play. It's, it's, I mean, he either stepped over the line or he didn't. Right. So I, I don't really understand why that's not, why that's not reviewable, but at any rate, it wasn't, wasn't reviewable. The officials got it wrong and, uh, and that hurt the wolves. The one other thing in the last two minute report, there are actually two. Um, there was one other call that did not go the wolves way. That was in overtime. Josh Akogi, you may recall, um, missed a shot in the paint, got the rebound, was fouled, then missed two free throws, got the rebound again and missed again. So he had essentially two missed layups and they were in traffic. They weren't easy shots, but they were still at the rim. He missed two and missed two free throws all in the same possession with the Wolves down two. And in the last two minute report, it also identifies that after Akogi's free throws and he, he rebounds his missed shots with 37 seconds left down two, Akogi missed another layup. But according to the last two minute report, he was fouled by Kent Bazemore the contact affected his play at the basket. It should have been a shooting foul. Cookie should have gone back to the free throw line for two more shots. Instead, he missed the shot. And then in the loose ball, the Kings got the rebound. And that was kind of the beginning of the end as the Wolves. Um, then on that next possession is when Covington committed the foul. The Kings went up by a couple possessions and the Wolves ultimately lost. So um, it, there was also, I, I guess, in the final seconds, Wiggins stepped out of bounds and it wasn't called. At that point, the Wolves were already down, I believe, by two possessions. So inconsequential, but two of the three incorrect calls went against the Wolves. Both of them were when the game was either tied or or actually when the game was within two points and directly affected the Wolves. So that's a tough pill to swallow on top of the unlikely comeback, on top of the poor defense, on top of the bad free throw shooting at the end, the bad rebounding at the end, the lack of execution at both ends of the floor. Definitely a tough pill to swallow that the uh, the last two-minute report was less than favorable for for the Wolves as a whole. All right, next up, we are going to put a real quick bow on Monday's game, some of the comments from media availability on Tuesday, and then move on to talk about the season in more broad terms. There were multiple Timberwolves beat reporters and reporters that cover the Wolves as part of their beat on Tuesday who acknowledged that the Timberwolves media availability was um, basically somber, my word, not theirs, but just that the players and coaches weren't obviously all that excited to talk about Monday. They did have practice on Tuesday. 
Carl Anthony Towns did speak to the media. He didn't speak after the game Monday, left before reporters were allowed into the locker room, gave some interviews on Tuesday. There's video. Um, Darren Wolfson of Score North um, and KSTP in the Twin Cities had some video from the Towns media availability on Tuesday at practice. John Krasinski also had some quotes in his Twitter feed. Um, so if you want to go check out the quotes in their entirety, please do that. But basically he was unhappy, kept repeating that everybody needs to be smarter. Could be interpreted as a as a slight dig at Ryan Saunders and the coaching staff. Although when somebody suggested that on Twitter, Darren Wolfson replied saying that Towns loves Ryan Saunders, which everybody knows. So who knows? Um, just because Towns loves Ryan Saunders doesn't mean that he's not frustrated with some of the coaching here recently. And obviously when a team loses 10 in a row for the second straight time this year, in danger of their second 11-game losing streak. Everything needs to be questioned, and that absolutely includes the coaching. The obvious fingers to point are the removal of starters up 14 with a minute and 46 left. That's fair. I mean, I, I with four days, especially, you know, if it's a back-to-back, maybe it's a little more excusable with four more off days coming up against a team they should beat. They've been up by double digits all game. It's excusable that he did that. It shouldn't have mattered who was on the floor. We covered this yesterday on the podcast. But there's also some other adjustments that could have been made um and and at times the rotation has been a little bit questionable the wolves did play a lot more small ball against the kings gorgie jeng didn't play very much and that i mean that made sense given the king's personnel but at times that front court rotation has been a little bit wonky um so I, i mean there's certainly things to be questioned related to the coaching it's unclear what he really meant by everybody needs to be smarter um clearly there were some effort issues towards the end of the game which doesn't make any sense the rebounding, the boxing out kind of went by the wayside. Towns himself was bad down the stretch. Um, John Krasinski had the stat in his article. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but he had a stat related to like in the last 17 minutes, fourth quarter and overtime combined, Towns had like three turnovers and made one field goal. And part of that was scheme. I mean, you look at the overtime period, Towns barely touched the ball. It was a lot of Andrew Wiggins forcing long mid-range jumpers, forcing contested threes, um, getting into the paint and not succeeding. And the Wolves have this habit of running through Wiggins in crunch time, which works sometimes, but it hasn't worked lately. Um, and it works to have Wiggins be the initiator of the offense. But for as much as Andrew Wiggins has improved going to the basket and facilitating overall, go back and look at his his couple of games previous to this one. He had a triple-double not long ago. He, he was, I think, over six assists in a couple of games here recently, which is significant for Wiggins. That tunnel vision that he's had for so much of his career comes back in crunch time. I challenge I challenge anyone to find very many Andrew Wiggins assists in the final two minutes of close games. He's often running the offense. He's often orchestrating the pick and roll, but he's focused on getting to the rim or shooting a, a difficult shot, usually from the mid-range, sometimes from beyond the arc. And he's not focused on facilitating the ball. And that's how Towns ends up not touching the ball in fourth quarter or overtime. He also, I think he was like one of five from the floor. So when he did touch the ball, it's not like he was making shots, but Towns is, is still the more efficient and overall more dynamic offensive player in terms of what he can do. And he should have been getting the ball more often. And that that's partly a coaching thing. Um, but it's also on Andrew Wiggins for not, for not finding Towns within the offense, for not defenses are able to load up on Wiggins in crunch time because they know he's going to be headed to the rim or, or they're going to be able to force him into a tough turnaround jumper or something like that. And, and Wiggins isn't exactly uh adjusting on the fly okay enough about monday's game let's go ahead and and shift gears a little bit and talk about the wolves as a whole and some of the issues as a team and and where they stand it's it's obvious to simply just look at the the 10 game losing streak their second 10 plus game losing streak in 
over the past, what, 10 weeks or so, eight weeks. And clearly the Wolves have been one of the worst teams in the league since basically, and this is a little arbitrary, but basically December 1st. And, I mean, starting from that point, clearly there's a ton of issues. I'm going to take, before we get into some of the, the, the biggest issues and the problems that I think are pretty commonly known, but I think it helps to kind of lay them out. I did want to just give a brief, a brief monologue on, on the silver lining so far this season. The Wolves have been close recently in all of these games that they lost, except for one. I know I've talked about this multiple times on this podcast, but you look at this 10-game losing streak. The first loss to Houston, they had beaten Portland pretty easily on Thursday, January 9th. The first loss to Houston came that Saturday. They lost by 30. Since then, they were in every single game in the fourth quarter. They had a double-digit loss to the Thunder that they were they were in in the fourth quarter. They had a double-digit loss to the Raptors that they were also in in the fourth quarter. And besides that... We're talking about single-digit losses. We're talking about games that the Wolves were within a possession with a minute or two to go. They simply weren't able to close. Most of these cases, they were trailing and had to come back late, but they were games that they were you know, within a possession or two for most of the game or within striking distance for most of the game. Um, the Sacramento game is obviously the exception in that they were ahead and should have won the game. But you look at the rest of those contests, and it's not like they're getting blown out. And all of these teams are playoff teams, except for the Bulls and the Kings. The Kings, they were up big and should have won. The Bulls, again, there's really no excuse, but it was still a close game. Every single other team, the Thunder, the Rockets twice, the Raptors, the Pacers twice, the Nuggets, um, actually the Thunder twice, um, all of those games were close, except for the first game against the Rockets. So they're not far off. And also the Wolves' record as a whole has has bore that out for the season. They're expected win-loss, basically their Pythagorean win-loss, which takes into account pretty much point differential, strength of schedule. Um, well, Pythagorean actually is just point differential, but this expected win-loss formula that's on, on basketball reference, their expected win-loss is 18 wins, 18 and 29. They're currently 15 and 32. So just a little more than halfway through the season to already be three games to be underperforming the Pythagorean number by three games is pretty significant. That's a that's a pretty big margin. Um, that's almost shades of the the Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio Timberwolves that won 40 games with Rick Adelman. And I think their Pythagorean was something like 46 or 47. This is, I mean, this team's obviously not as good as that one, but that's the equivalent almost. Um, and a lot of that is closing out games um, because they're losing a lot of close games. But you factor in strength of schedule and some of the teams that they've played against recently and that makes that number stick out a little bit more. Granted, they just simply couldn't close out against the Kings, who are should not be as good as the Wolves, given their roster talent and lack of a, of a true superstar. But they also weren't able to close out against good teams that should have beaten the Wolves, and the Wolves were in the, in the game and, and had a shot at the end, simply weren't able to, to close things out. So that's a little bit of a silver lining, at least, considering considering the Pythagorean record, considering their pace or their... Um, their, I guess, the way that they played recently in terms of beating games against good teams. That's probably about the only silver lining. Um, so next up, we're going to get into into some of the major issues. But before we do that, I did want to talk briefly about advertising here locally on, on Locked on Wolves. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked on to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked on Wolves is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Minnesota Timberwolves fans just like you. 
Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, and not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Wolves fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. It would be really easy to just look at the Timberwolves at you know a, a 10,000 foot view and say, blame all their issues on three-point shooting because that is an issue. Um, and it would seem lazy at first, but... I think we need to we actually need to spend a moment talking about just how bad the three point shooting has been this year for the Wolves. The Timberwolves are still third in the league in three point attempts per game. And they were they were top three for they have been top three all season. They're third in the league in three point attempts per game, thirty nine point five attempts. They're twenty ninth in three point percentage in the league. They're shooting thirty two point eight percent from deep. To shoot that many threes and to shoot that poorly, I mean you just adjust adjust those numbers a little bit, improve this team by a few percentage points from beyond the arc. And those close games the Wolves are losing, that Pythagorean win-loss that's three games better than their actual, that suddenly is more in line and, and maybe even a little bit better. I mean, you could be talking about this team being, you know, 20 and 27 or 19 and 26 or something, or excuse me, 19 and 28, which is a lot, it sounds a lot better than 15 and 32. And there surely aren't two 10 plus game losing streaks mixed in if this team makes a handful more three pointers. So that's obviously a big if, and that has to do with roster construction. It has to do with scheme. There's a lot of reasons, um, but they're also, quite frankly, it's just a lack of talent on the perimeter. And there's a reason that Alan Crabb was acquired. Of course, now he's injured. He, I think they're calling it a, a knee subluxation. He suffered on, on Saturday night. So who knows how long he'll be out. They're not putting a timetable on it yet. But you look at the primary wing players on this team, the primary, the guys who are going to have the opportunity to shoot threes, and it's not pretty. Um, if you go ahead and go to Basketball Reference, sort the Timberwolves roster by three-point percentage for this season, Carlton Towns is shooting 41.2%. Look at the top, the, just sort it by three-point percentage. You go down the list of names. Carlton Towns, starting center. Gorgie Jang, backup center. Jeff Teague, no longer with the team. Jordan McLaughlin, two-way point guard, small sample size of 13 games. Either way, not a regular player. Jake Lehman, he's been out since November. Number six is Robert Covington. So your top five are two centers, a guy who's not with the team, a guy who's been out hurt, and a guy who's a two-way player that played limited minutes. Number six is your next start member of the starting lineup, the current starting lineup, Robert Covington, and he's only at 34.8%, which is is fine. It's good by Wolves standards, but it's actually not that good by Covington standards. And he's more of a volume guy anyways. He can get hot. He can shoot from far beyond the line. He's never been like a true sharpshooter. He's just, he's always been above league average and he'll shoot. He's got, you know, he can shoot from anywhere and is willing to shoot from anywhere. Then you got, after that, we're talking league average guys now. You're in Nikita Bates-Diop, who probably should be seeing more minutes than he is. Andrew Wiggins is number eight at 33.3%. And remember, he just went like, what, seven for 11 or something, or six for 11 the other night in that loss to the Kings. And that helped that number quite a bit. And then there's nobody else above 30%. Uh, I guess Shabazz Napier is right at 30.3%. Nasri doesn't count because of his limited games. And that's it. Regular wing players, Jarrett Culver, 27.7%. Josh Kogi, 25.4%. For the first 30 plus games of the season, Travion Graham started 20 games. 
he shot 24.1% from three and still attempted two and a half threes a game. How many points are being left on the floor by having guys shooting, making one out of every four of their shots from beyond the arc? You upgrade that to league. And I feel like we have this conversation every year about the Wolves, but it's that much more glaring because of the scheme now and the high number of three-point attempts that they're taking. Find league average guys from three, and this team suddenly is a few wins better, and the scheme doesn't look so bad, which is part of the reason why I think the Wolves can can afford to be a little bit stubborn with this, is there aren't any other teams that have this many bad shooters from the perimeter. Now, part of the problem for the Wolves is they've already gotten rid of the one guy who is essentially... Um, expendable and Trey Van Graham, a veteran on a short contract who, you know, wasn't, there's no upside. He's 26. They got him cheap. They got rid of him cheap. The other guys are people that are supposed to have a future with the team. Jarek Culver, this year's first round pick, Josh Okogie, last year's first round pick. They're 20 and 21 years old, respectively. They've shown flashes in other areas of Kogi, especially over his year and a half and Culver, especially recently. Neither one has been very good. Um, overall, Culver's Culver's been pretty bad this year. He's actually, I think he's second on the team in minutes next to Wiggins, if I remember correctly. Um, and, I mean, actually here, I'll just make sure that that's true. He's third on the team in minutes after Wiggins and Covington because of the injury to Towns. Um, he's ahead of Towns, and then also he's 100, I guess 50 minutes ahead of Josh Okogie on the season. He's only played in one more game. Um, so you've got a guy who's arguably been the worst player on the team in Culver, if you factor everything in and he's playing the third most minutes on the team and shooting 27.7% from beyond the arc. So I'm not suggesting the Wolves trade Culver and a or anything crazy like that, but that's part of the problem. They're going to have to make a hard decision. And if they're going to bring back talent, like say a D'Angelo Russell or another all-star type caliber player, whether it be in the next week before the deadline or this summer, they're going to have to give up talent and, well, there's plenty of upside to be had for Culver. Akogi's upside is maybe a little bit more limited. However, he's still a rotational player in the NBA, and there's a lot of, I mean, he's actually probably the better fit to stay on the roster because of his his ability to be a low-usage guy who specializes in defense and transition and can hit you a corner three every now and again. He's probably a better fit than Culver, who's going to be a more ball-dominant guy. And if Andrew Wiggins stays on this roster, if the Wolves acquire a, say, a D'Angelo Russell or any other player who's going to be a little bit more high usage Culver doesn't fit that as well unless he really becomes figures out being a slasher and can become a spot-up shooter um, I mean he is shooting a couple percentage points better than a Kogi from deep he's a year younger and um, has again a higher ceiling but for all those reasons he may also be a better trade ship um, I'm not expecting Culver to be traded in the next week I don't think the Wolves make a major trade in the next week but don't be surprised if Culver kind of slides or, or finds his way climbing that chart of most likely players to be traded because the Wolves are simply going to have to give up something to get something and they're going to need to swap out some of the bad shooting for some good shooting and that could end up being Culver. Okay, that's all we have for you today. We ended up talking a little bit more about Culver and the the possibility for upgrading the perimeter than than specifically about some of the other issues. But by and large, the biggest issue for the Wolves is is really three-point shooting and we've, we've known that all along and that by addressing that, the Wolves address a lot of their problems. All right, that's all we have for you today here at Locked On Wolves. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves. That's at Locked On T Wolves. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.